Do you have something in your life that you feel like you've mastered? Like some of you, maybe it's like, listen, I have mastered the art of taking naps. Um, I'm pretty good with my ABCs. I've mastered the idea of counting to ten. Like, what is something in your life that you feel like you've mastered? You have something? You do. You just might not realize it. Just because I'm curious, and I'm sure people around you are as well. You have 30 seconds. Don't get out of your seat. Turn to the person next to you. What's something that you've mastered? Go. All right, by the amount of conversation out there, I'm, I'm assuming we have a group of people here who have mastered a, a number of things. Um, there, there are not a lot of things in my life that I, I feel like I've mastered. As a matter of fact, every time I feel like I've mastered something and uh, start to feel pretty good about it, I come up with, I see somebody else who's way better at it than I am. Or see some way that I don't understand it or don't get it. And, and so this whole concept of mastering something, I, I don't really have. I will say, when I was in high school, um, when I was in high school, I worked for my dad in the summers. I did this uh, in college as well. In the summers, I would work for my dad. My dad's a carpenter. And um, when I was in high school, and, and still kind of is true, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. But I did master something in the realm of carpentry. And that is this. I was awesome at holding things in place so skilled people could do something with it. <laughs> like, I mastered the ability to hold a board right where it needed to be so someone else could attach it the way it was supposed to be. Actually, I kind of gave myself, I don't know if you'd be familiar with this second term, I was like a human shim. Like, it, uh, like shims, they're like things that hold it where it's supposed to be. I was like a human shim. I was incredible, right, Dad? Like, that's what I did. It was, it was either I held it in place or I ran and got it so that somebody else could do something with it. I was excellent at that. I mastered that skill. By the way, if you need work done around your house, I am glad to come and hold stuff in place for you. Okay, I can still do that well. Today we want to talk about the idea of mastering things. But I don't want, to be, I don't want our focus to be on what we have mastered, but I actually want our focus to be on what has mastered us. And we're going to, we're going to discuss the idea today, we're going to look at the idea today of who is your master? Who is the one or what is the thing that has complete control of you? I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. If I had to pick a passage of Scripture that I would say is my life verse, Colossians chapter 2 is what it would be. Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking today at verses 6, 7, and 8. Before we read them, I'd like to give you a little bit of a background about the book of Colossians and so we can understand what's going on in the 
the city, uh, the region of Colossae at this point in time. At this point in time, or what we need to understand is that, first of all, Paul is writing this letter to the Colossian believers, to the church at Colossae, and, and as he writes this letter, uh, this church came about through Paul's ministry, but not through his ministry directly. Actually, Paul was ministering in Ephesus, and while in Ephesus, a man named Epaphras came to know the Lord, and Epaphras took the gospel from Ephesus back to Colossae. And Epaphras is the one that we would typically say is associated with founding the church in Colossae. He spread the gospel there, and a church was started. Now, this region at this point in time, as time went on, the believers really got to be confused by the culture. If you didn't realize this, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Culture influences churches. It does it everywhere. It didn't just do it in Colossae. It didn't just do it in Ephesus. It didn't just do it in Corinth. It does it in Martinsburg. It does it everywhere. Culture has a tendency to infiltrate churches, and the worldly culture then has a tendency to bring what is supposed to be true about God's Word and twist and turn and and mess it up. And it happened in Colossae. And they actually started to struggle with something known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism is really weird. Basically what Gnosticism is, and this is not going to be really, really deep and in-depth, this is a fundamental understanding of Gnosticism, it is this. Matter, bad. Spirit, good. Now that should be a really big deal to all of us, because all of us are matter. And since matter is evil and spirit is good, they had a really big issue in Colossae with the whole idea of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is supposed to be God, but he's also man, and that's going to be quite a confusion. That's going to be a huge issue. If God becomes man, that means God became matter and... Matters evil. So their understanding, their knowledge, their grasp of who Jesus Christ was, was very messed up. And so Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, and he is trying to clarify who Jesus is. He wants them to understand the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He wants them to understand the deity and the humanity and who Jesus Christ really is. And in Colossians chapter 2, we get to this passage explaining to us how we're supposed to interact with Jesus Christ. Let me read this for us. Colossians chapter 2, let's start verse 6. We're just going to read a couple of verses this morning and then I want to take some time and And look at how these verses should impact our lives. Colossians 2, verse 6, he says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. He goes on from there and explains more about who Christ is, the authority, the power, the the supremacy of Christ. But I want to focus just today on these couple of verses here. 
And I want to look at and pull out just a couple of different passages or a couple of different phrases that he uses in this. And I want us to start with this. At the beginning of verse 6, he starts with the idea that he is assuming he is talking to believers. Notice he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. He starts with this assumption, since he's writing to the church at Colossae, that he's talking to believers. But here's what I know Paul understood. He understood that this would be read and heard by people who don't truly know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And he starts with this statement of, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Man, what a packed statement. Do you remember the day when you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Man, what an awesome thing to remember and think about. What an awesome thing to focus on. What an awesome thing to to reminisce about and, and have in your mind. I hope you can picture that day when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. What a life-altering day. If you've never had that experience, I challenge you to understand that Jesus came to this earth as God to die for you because you are a sinner. But He didn't die and stay dead. He was buried and He rose again, which is what we call the Gospel. And... He lives in heaven right now, interceding for us. I hope at some point in time, you put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did in beating death, in beating sin, so that you can have a personal relationship with Him. If you've never done that, I I would love to talk to you about that after church today. Because it is the most important thing that you will ever do in your life. Now, for all of you who would say, you know what, Pastor Brock, I've done that. There's more in this phrase for you as well. Because here's the deal. Oftentimes we look at this phrase and we see this phrase and we see, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, okay, yep, that's me, I got it. I remember I was six years old, this happened. I was 20 years old, this happened. I was 45 years old and this happened and I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That is awesome and I am excited about that and I'm thrilled that that is the case in your life. But I think that we need to be careful about this statement and make sure that what it says is really true in our lives. There's a word at the end of this statement where he says, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. And I want to look at that word Lord just for a little bit this morning. Um, That word Lord is an interesting word. The Greek word here is kyrios. The word kyrios actually means the supernatural master of all. Supernatural master of all. Here's a really interesting thing about this Greek word. This Greek word is really the same word, but in Greek, as the Hebrew word that we looked at last week in the Ten Commandments. In the Third Commandment, remember the Third Commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is the Greek word 
for that Hebrew word, Lord. Remember the Hebrew word Yahweh? This is it, just in New Testament language. It's, a new, it's the, the whole idea of a supernatural master of everything. Now notice what Paul is, is doing here when he writes this to them. He says, I'm going to assume something is true about you. Since or therefore as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. He didn't say, therefore as you believed in Jesus. He didn't say, therefore as you prayed a prayer to Jesus. He does say, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. What that really means is that I have accepted Christ as the supernatural master of all. There's a lot in that statement. Jesus is supposed to be our master. He's our Lord. He is the one who is to control things. He is the one to whom we are to submit. He is our master. This is more than just, as I've heard people say already, salvation is more than just fire insurance. Well, I get saved because if I don't, when I die, I'm going to hell. By the way, if you don't, when you die, you're going to hell. That is true. But my accepting of Jesus Christ, the Lord, is more than that. I can't accept Jesus Christ, the Lord, and then hold on to other stuff. It doesn't work that way. I think we, there's a chance that there are believers all over the world right now that might be sitting in a church service right now that don't understand the fact that there's more to this than just saying, well, I prayed a prayer at this point in time in my life. It isn't just that. This is a life-changing event. This is something that should impact every area of what we do. This is something that should cause us to no longer be able to hold on to stuff that we want but it's now all about Him. I received Christ Jesus, the Lord. He's my master. And here's what we do sometimes. What we'll do is this. We'll say, okay, Jesus, I get it. Um, I understand it. That all sounds great. And I'm going to go ahead and commit most of this to you. But when it comes to this area of my life, I really want to hold that one back because I like the way it's going. I like that part of it. Supernatural supreme master, that's not acceptable. I can't hold these pieces back. I can't can't take parts of my life and say, I'm going to control these areas, but I'll give you Sunday mornings. It doesn't work that way. That's not how it, it must take place. Because of who I have as my... Lord, it's all His. And then here's the other problem. 
by the way we live sometimes, we say we believe one thing, but we actually end up placing other things as our master. This should kind of sound like the Ten Commandments stuff that we've already looked at. It's so easy to take other things and make them our master. Our job becomes our master. Money becomes our master. Our kids become our master. We we have all these things. Hobbies become our master. And they are what dictates eat, sleep, act, do, think. They dictate all those things because they're really our master. And, and here's the deal, folks. And I find myself, like, th- this is so easy to slip into. It's one thing to say something. It's a totally different thing to live. You can show up here on a Sunday morning and nod your head all you want. But when you walk out that door then, who your master is shows by the way you live. Let me show you. Just keep reading. Verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, what's the next phrase? So walk in Him. So walk in Him. Walk really means the idea of, of living in Him. It is every aspect of your life, what you do should be about Him. What consumes your thoughts. Why you do the things you do. Why you live the way you live. All of these things, the decisions that you make, they should all be consumed by the Master. What is your Master, or who is your Master, will dictate how you live. It's going to influence the decisions, the thoughts that you have. It's going to influence the things that you prioritize in your life. What is your master impacts that stuff. And here's the thing, if we're not careful about this, we need to understand that the Bible tells us, the Bible leads us to the the understanding, a very big warning in Scripture And this big warning is this. If you place Jesus as secondary, you need to question faith and belief as a whole. He can't be secondary. And let's be honest, it's very easy to push him back past secondary. I want to show you a couple of verses real quick. If if you would, it's, it's not a lot of turning, but... Real quick, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see, I'm not just making this stuff up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take a look at verses 1 and 2. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. We just talked about the gospel of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for the sake of saving sinners. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. That's pretty strong. 
if I make Jesus secondary, and I say, yeah, I, I believe it, but realistically, I'm holding on to everything else. I, I'm grabbing on. I want to live my life the way I live my life. I want to do the things the way I want to do the things, and I want to be who I want to be. But you know what? Yeah, for the sake of this salvation thing at the end of all of this life, I'm going to accept, yes, Jesus, I accepted him. And then I go on living the way I was living? I kind of believe Paul's saying that we probably believed in vain. I want to show you another passage. Turn over real quick to Matthew chapter 13. We'll come back to Colossians here in a minute. Matthew chapter 13. Might be familiar with this one. This is a parable. It's a parable. Parable. I like to call it the parable of the soils. But I want to show us real quick just a, a couple of things that this says. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. I'm going to read a, a little bit longer of a section, and then we'll, we'll go through it a little bit quicker. But it says this That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him. So that he got on a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Still other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let's jump down to verse 18 because Jesus explains this so we can understand it. He says, hear, the, hear then the, the parable of the soil. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. That's the first one. This is what was sown along the path. Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while, and when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what is sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves, and it proves unfaithful. As for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. There are a number of different options there. But I want you to notice a couple of those options really sound like people who have received God's Word but didn't commit to Him as Master and Lord. They have taken, they have taken this and said, listen, I'm going to hold on to how I live and do what I want to do and make this whole thing secondary. And before long, the cares of this world are going to come and it's going to drive them away. This is not a secondary issue. This is not something that we can take lightly. We're commanded to walk in the fact that we receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 2. I want to look at just a couple other things in this passage because he gives us a, a few more insights in this section. After he says to walk in Christ, he now explains a couple other things that should be true. And he tells us that we're supposed to be rooted, we're supposed to be built up, and we're supposed to be established in Him. 
All three of those phrases and terms very much lead us to the fact that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. He is our foundation. He is what we are supposed to be building on. I think a lot of times there's this possibility or this tendency for us to make this mistake. We feel like in good times, the idea of relying on God is not necessary because times are good. And then, when times get difficult, we think we're just going to be able to flip a switch and boom, now I rely on God. But if you've gone through difficult times, you'll know that's very hard to do. It doesn't work that way. He tells us that when we walk with Him, when we walk in Him, when we make Jesus our Lord, our Master, and we live that way all of our life, and we make it all about Him, what that is really doing is it's causing me to be rooted in Him. I need to make sure that He is my foundation, that He is my cornerstone, that He is the focus, the emphasis, that He is the one that I root myself, and build on so that when things become difficult, my foundation is going to stand. If we do it the other way, if we make something else our master, I'm gonna, I, I promise you people, other masters will not stand up in hard times. Your work is not going to stand up in hard times. Your hobbies are not. Other things that you can place as number one will not be there and, st- and stand through difficulty. It's not going to work. And if you don't establish yourself in Jesus Christ, there's going to be this tendency for you to wander away. My, uh, my uncle just went through a pretty rough situation, a pretty rough part of his life. His mother passed away. Uh, this was a week and a half ago. And uh, so they, they live in South Carolina. They travel to uh, Chicago where he grew up, and they have the funeral for his mom. And um, they get done with the funeral. They go back to the house, and there's a gathering and stuff, and... His nephew, literally the day of the funeral, his nephew in that house overdoses on drugs and dies before they get to the hospital. Horrible. And so they bury his mother on a Saturday. They bury his nephew on a Wednesday. I've never really experienced anything like that. I can't say I understand or that I know the difficulty and the hardship that goes along with that. But I called, I called my aunt and uncle uh, this week just to see how they were doing, and I was so encouraged by what they said. Because as I talked to them, they said this to me. They said, well, Brock, we know God is in control, and we know that he has a plan. They're established in their faith. They have a foundation already. They understand that God hasn't changed, 
Sin has caused their circumstances to stink, but God has not changed. I want you to hear this, and and if you grab nothing else from what I take this morning, please hear this. My circumstances do not... I'm sorry, I want to make sure I say this right. I have this written down, if I can find it. My circumstances do not define who God is. Who God is defines how I see my circumstances. My circumstances do not define who God is. Who God is defines how I see my circumstances. I have no idea the hardship that you are going through right now. I really don't. But here's what I do know. God does. And he hasn't changed. He hasn't become different because your circumstances are bad. He's still the same. He's still in complete control. He's still the supernatural maker and master of all of this. He still has you right here in his hands. But the problem is, if we're not rooted, established, and set in him, the second our circumstances go bad, we run to something else. Circumstances don't define God. God defines how you see your circumstances. And I have to be established in Him. Real quick, in, in verse 8, he, he encourages and He challenges the believers at Colossae with one more thing. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And basically, that, that is built upon the tradition and spirits of this world and not on Christ. The world's going to feed you all kinds of lies. It just is. It's going to try to convince you that there are other masters out there that are better than Jesus. And we know them. We've heard of all this stuff. We can look at these things and, and say, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard this. You know, the world's going to tell you that you should be your own master. The world's going to tell you that money will fix everything. Physical pleasures, that'll take care of stuff. The world's going to throw all sorts of hollow and deceptive philosophies out there. And the ultimate goal is for Satan to get you to live your life for something other than Jesus Christ. They're going to crumble, folks. All of those other masters will crumble. And when times get hard, and if you haven't figured it out yet, it's gonna. As weird as this sounds, praise God that it does. James tells me that when times get hard, he's making me better. He's maturing me. He's growing me through that. Praise God that times get hard. It allows me to lean on my foundation in a greater way. Praise God for this. But I'm telling you, it's going to be hard. But the foundation is Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Master. So is Christ your Master? Is it more than just what we say? 
or when we walk out of here, when I'm not around other believers, is it me walking in Him? Is it me living in Him? Am I established and rooted? Are you in a good time right now? Like, is your life good right now? Boy, I hope you are in God's Word, establishing yourself, rooted in who Christ is. So that when those hardships come, when those circumstances get bad, you have a firm foundation. Who's your master? Let's pray. God, we thank you that we have, first of all, that you died for us. I thank you that we have you as our foundation, you as our cornerstone. God, I pray that we will not lose sight of the fact that you are our master and you desire us to live for you and that that, that needs to be the automatic response. God, may we be rooted in your word. May we be strong in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.